Was Bangladesh beating Afghanistan the true upset of the World Cup? What's it like to listen to over 33,000 people chant Kohli ko bowling do or give the ball to Kohli uh, in unison at Vankhede Stadium? And uh, is Rachin Ravinder really named after Rahul Dravid and Sanjay Tendulkar after all? Welcome to ESPN Cricket First Stump Mike. I'm your host Kaustub and uh, today, 45 matches in, we look back at the group stage of the World Cup and wonder, does it really take one day? And joining me to answer all these burning questions are Miller and Fidel, uh, who joined us for the preview 45 days back, which seems like a year ago at this point. It, yeah, it, it seems so long ago. I was just telling someone the other day, I can't remember a time before this World Cup started. Like, I just don't, there's, it's been going for so long, it feels like. But I think that's because I'm on the ground and I've been, you know, traveling between cities. It, it, but it has, it has really picked up. That's not a, that's not a dig on the World Cup, by the way. I think it's been a fun World Cup, or at least the last few weeks has been pretty fun. But it does, it has feel, felt like a long time. A lot has happened since we last. Played. Miller, before we uh, started the last pod, or rather, I think in the middle of that last pod, I had asked, does it really feel like the World Cup is around the corner? And like, I just want to ask you, do you feel the World Cup is truly over now? It's felt like it's been truly over from about the third game for England, to be perfectly honest. It's it's been such a, a long drawn out death for them. Um, but no, I mean, what you're saying, I I felt this way after most World Cups. I remember being out in the Caribbean in 2007, and I still think a part of me is still watching that that World Cup. It, I don't believe that one ever ended. They do go on. They do get incredibly deep. And if you know, if you're not a massive cricket nufty, I imagine you you'll be tuning out, tuning in. And now suddenly finding thinking, oh, it's, it's getting interesting now. We've got three more games. Let's uh, let's let's um, cock an ear to it. And to be fair, after everything that's gone before, all these forty-five games, the right four teams have made it through. It's, it, I mean, the that second semi-final in particular. I mean, never mind India's runaway form, but South Africa, Australia, that in the semi-final, obviously with uh, with ninety-nine, etc. In mind, that could be an absolute humding, and that feels like two teams who are going about their their game. Very similar ma- manners, but very different approaches into this World Cup. And um, I'm really looking forward to that one in particular. Does it really feel like this is the top four that uh, makes sense at the end of this World Cup? Like, leave- leaving aside India, of course, because like winning nine matches in a row uh, means they're like an automatic lock and nobody expected any less from them. But I would say the remaining three are still like out and about, barring for New Zealand, who we knew that they would somehow scrape through. Like, as they always do towards the end of a tournament. South Africa and Australia, I don't think any anybody even thought of them. Like, to to the extent to which they have performed this time around. Well, I admit, I was, I was surprised Australia performed as well as they did. When they lost their first two games, I felt vindicated in my prediction they wouldn't get through. But having seen the way the tournament's panned out, I mean, once you realise that England are a roadkill, and once you realise that Pakistan are just not good enough to be consistent... And once you get over the excitement of Afghanistan punching above their weight and doing a Sri Lanka 96, you're left with, well, those top four teams are, are, you know, by a distance, I mean, the top three in particular are almost twice as many points as the rest. Um, I think, it, you know, in hindsight, given everything we've seen and the way the tournament has panned out, it's the right four. But yeah, predicting it as those particular four was tricky because I thought England, I thought Pakistan in particular would be much more challenge, more challenging as as entities than they proved to be. I watched a lot of uh, India this World Cup. I watched a little bit of New Zealand uh, and a little bit of Australia, but I've haven't. I've managed to not be at a single South Africa match. So I mean, I just watched them on TV. But it was kind of clear from midway in the tournament that these are the four teams that everyone else has to beat, and no one else really put their hands up and made that late charge. I think the romantic in me wants, you know, wishes that this was a it, there was an India-Pakistan semi-final uh, because, you know, world tournaments are just more fun when Pakistan are doing their thing. It was fun to watch them reverse the ball as, you know, um, as, as much as they did in, in some games. And it's just, it just brings a whole element of kind of craziness and fun when Pakistan are part of the, the last four. But, you know, in terms of quality, I think, I don't think there can be any real disagreements, you know. I don't think there is there is another team that was really challenging these four um, New Zealand had a bit of a shake kind of midway through. So I think they were lost four in a row. Um, but they, you know, they, they, they've done enough. And I, I also think that that group of players has now been in this end of a tournament. This is the third tournament in a row uh, in which they are, you know, the likes of Trent Bolt, the likes of Kane Williamson are at this end of a tournament. And I think 
as dominant as India look right now, uh, they perhaps within themselves have the kind of uh, the nous, the kind of the the steel for the enormous challenge. And I think of the of the three other teams, I think New Zealand is the team that I would back to beat India the most. I still think India are far and away the best team in this competition. But uh, if there is someone who's going to take them down on a day, I think it's going to be... The next TDS is going to be full of nerves and like what you're saying is not going to help. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, because you've seen New Zealand time and time again just somehow nick like the trophy away from what India would think was rightfully theirs despite the fact that they only made it to the semi-final last year. Not even, like, sorry, four years ago and not even the final, right? But it's happened <laughs> on multiple occasions. Like I wanted to like circle back into yeah. like a, a bigger uh, story from just the group stage, right? Like, is the bigger feat uh, Afghanistan somehow managing to punch way above their weight and does that trump how woeful England have been in the World Cup? Like, somehow that captures the imagination more than uh, whatever England are going through at this point. I only say this because I truly feel Bangladesh beating them is the biggest upset of, of the World Cup. I'm just going to jump in here and say... I don't feel seen at all in this conversation. We've talked about how crap England are. <laughs> and they are the ones who are ninth place, you know, lower than England. So, you know, I, I just wanted to put that out there and say, we, we you know, Sri Lanka being crap. I mean, it was more expected, obviously. No one expected uh, England to crash so hard. But, you know, it, it's, it's sometimes nice to be validated that we are still part of the competition. To, to be fair, that's what you said uh, in the preview show as well. Yes. Like, as long as we make it back with our limbs intact, that's good enough. And even that didn't happen. <laughs> exactly, right? yeah. There was such low expectations of this team. And they managed to defy even those. And like, the, the bar was basically subterranean. They managed to dig through to the other side of the world and fall into a fall into a chaotic administrative mess at home administrative slash political mess at home on top of it so uh it's uh it's been a truly spectacularly bad week however bad england fans feel you cannot match our pain right now it's just not possible but at least you beat england eh? <laughs> no no but to go, to go back to your original point i mean afghanistan afghanistan's march was formidable i mean you know you, you look at that that near miss, the Glenn Maxwell innings that that, that derailed them, it's it's in, it's preposterous to think what could have could have been achieved had Maxwell not produced the greatest innings ever seen in white ball cricket. Uh, you know they'd have been they'd have had ten points to Australia's eight. They'd have been in pole position to really push put the squeeze on. They'd have gone into their final game with confidence. Um, it's a near miss, but what as you're saying, I mean in terms of. Surprises. I mean, when they beat England, everyone thought, oh, this is one of the biggest shocks of the World Cup. And then they go and win three other games uh, and look absolutely cushy in each of them. Um, it's been wonderful to watch. And it, it, it's, a, it's a vindication, I suppose, of, of, um, of the cohesiveness of these, these lesser teams that come together and, you know, talking about India or India, New Zealand semi-final. It's a sort of a similar sort of vibe, really, going into that into that semi final. The the fact that that we know full well that cricket is beset by haves and have nots, uh, and India have most of the the wealth and resources in the game, and most of the teams, Netherlands included, are living on scraps. But if those scraps come together and form a team that can just punch together instead of instead of pulling apart, you end up with something really quite special at times. And, and that's what we got from Afghanistan. It's what we even got from Netherlands. I mean, they only won two games, but, you know, they, they put in a good show throughout this tournament. And as you mentioned, New Zealand going, in, going into that, that semi-final against India, they will, be, they will have that puncher's chance that, that, that you mentioned, that, that just you think if they get it together on their day, they can transcend the fact that, you know, their entire national budget is... More or less the same as that of Surrey, you know. It's a uh, they they do have a chance to to you know cap off what's been an extraordinary era for them with two finals in a row and a, and a third beckoning if they can pull off the one of what would obviously be one of the shocks of the tournament. What is it about uh, New Zealand that just lets them compete uh, like this at the highest stage? We see this repeatedly where nobody gives them a chance at the start of a tournament. Oh, like they can't, they don't have it in them to do it again. Or, uh, yeah, the 2019 was a one-off, but uh, then they've gone to win the WTC final. They uh, were finalists in the T20 World Cup. They were semi-finalists the last time around. How is it that, like, like it's a 
nation that has i think uh, a percentage population of the people living in mumbai and yet they manage to compete over and over and over again well i'd say i'd say it's inherent lack of expectation yes, I, I mean fiddle fiddle can fiddle knows better as a kiwi but I, I would say as an outsider looking at them that inherent lack of expectation we, is a real bonus especially when you're going up against india who will go into this stage of the tournament nine wins out of nine knowing that all of a sudden if their first vic- first defeat comes in the next couple of days, they've blown it. They're that inherent weight of expectation versus a team that, you know, no one no one really expects anything of, not even New Zealanders, really, but they're always very grateful for whatever they get. Uh, whereas I sense for, for the bigger nations, they fall harder when they, um, when, when they don't get it right. I dug into this quite a lot um, and thought about this before the, uh, before the World Test Championship final that New Zealand ended up winning. And... Uh, yeah, I think Miller's exactly right. There's there's the All Blacks and there's the Black Caps in New Zealand sports. There's the kind of two premier men's sporting teams. And the pressure on the All Blacks is immense. You know, like the entire nation is just obsessed with rugby. Whereas the Black Caps are kind of a, a nice-to-have kind of. They're fun. You tune into them when uh, when they're doing well. You, tu- you turn off when they're not doing well. Uh, and that's very much the, the, the nature of the expectation. I think we should also talk about the, the quality of the players that New Zealand have had over the last five, six years. You know, you've got Williamson, one of the best in the world across formats, Bolt, Southie, uh, Henry when he's, when he's firing. Those four themselves are just a great core. Um, and then they found uh, a new star in Russia, Ravindra, in this, in this tournament. They, they found, over the last few years, they found players like Conway, uh, and Daryl Mitchell, so there is. It's not as if they're like really punching that far above their weight. They do have some really, really solid players. What they do to enhance all of that is they are very, very mindful about conditions, about oppositions. Where India are the kind of team that just have developed their players over a long period of time and have players who do their thing. And we've seen one one departure from that. You know, we've seen this World Cup is Rohit Sharma taking on this like super aggressive opener role. But largely, India players come to the national team and do what they've been doing at domestic or IPL level, just you know, in a, at, a, at a higher stage against better players. Uh, whereas New Zealand players come to the top level and they take in all of this kind of, all the data that they have, uh, that they have thrown at them. And they adapt to tournament cricket really well. So from team to team, from conditions to conditions, New Zealand come up with different game plans and come up with... Uh, they're just a much more agile uh, and a nimble team. You know, they'll, they'll do something different every game from the, one, from the time they did before. India are so good. They have such a spectacular attack now and they have such an incredible top order that they probably don't feel like they need to do anything new. They feel like we're, this is what we do. This is the way we play, uh, and let's keep doing that. Whereas New Zealand are constantly on the lookout for how they can do things different. Even if what brought them success in the last match, uh, you know, even if if uh, even if they have to depart from what brought them success in the last match, they will take that seriously and try and change the things they do from a from a day to day, match to match basis. And that's what that's what makes them such a good tournament team. Um, there are shades of you know past versions of Sri Lanka in this, uh, which is why I bring it up. But like I, I remember that era of Sri Lankan cricket also being like that. Uh, teams that are not not don't have the resources but need to find ways, and New Zealand have got such a good formula uh, right now. This sounds a lot like a, uh, like a tech podcast suddenly, where uh, oh like <laughs> it's uh, the MNC with the strict process in place being taken on by the nimble startup. Agile is a word thrown around by the way a lot in tech. <laughs> it's 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 probably it, it's probably the same kind of forces at work. Um, in in reality, it's probably the same kind of forces at work. The other thing is that uh, you know New Zealand players kind of come with they come with kind of a willingness to change the way they do things. Whereas I think if you're from a bigger team, there's, there's more expectation on you as a single player. So all of the moving parts in the New Zealand setup are much easier, are kind of like well lubricated, are, are geared to being kind of fit to move. I mean, I think it's a, it's a similar thing when you compare a like huge multinational corporation to a startup. It is, a, it is the same kind of forces. So like if you want to keep the same MNC startup uh lingo in mind right like uh, england have announced that the ceo is not going to get fired 
like the shadow was backing them like, i i just wanted to know how does uh, england go forward uh, from here because you can't reset a reset right like to do a 180 on what you did in 2015 would you land up where you started that's just basic maths how how does england uh, go forward from here like you could hear morgan like I, you could tell morgan uh, kind of things of the uh, the game in one particular way and that works really well in 2019 right where you just come in you go hit hard oh you're not going hard enough uh, and clearly that it's not the, the problem was not that england were uh, not going hard enough like they were just falling short when other people were able to read things better or other people were able to sense what england were going to do so like how how does england go forward from here because you can't reset this team like it's a very talented team even now you have world cup coming up in a year like how would they go forward well they they picked their squads already i mean they snuck out uh, two two squads for the t20 and odi tour of west indies they snuck about at four o'clock in the morning uk time on the morning after their final game which uh, is not not the actions of a team that uh, that isn't trying to hide bad news but uh, you know essentially um they they have in the white ball in the in, in the odi format basically joss butler remains as captain and they've essentially binned off everyone else who played in 2019. Obviously, some of those guys will come back. Guys like Mark Wood have got a, a three-year contract. So, you know, clearly they're going to be considered for the main events. But um, fundamentally, England have got such a wealth of talent bubbling up through county cricket. And, you know, you look at all the all the white ball players who end up being picked up in drafts all around the world, even the IPL. You know, the, the number of England players who are, who are being... You know, particularly PSL and BBL and and Bangladesh and all the all these other ones, there is nowhere in the world, especially with India not allowing their players to play overseas. There's nowhere in the world that provides more white ball talent for the global game than England. And so, as you say, you can't reset a reset. But what you have, I think, got to do is is embrace the the development of the white ball game that has that has taken place over the past eight years. And accept that you know when it comes to, when push comes to shove, you you can assume that guys like Butler, Root, Bearstow, Stokes are going to be your go-to men until the day they choose not to be. Or you can accept that you know what, if this team is to evolve, you've got to be ruthless. You've got to accept that these guys have failed at the key moment. You've got to say move on. We we go on to the onto the next next level of the conveyor belt. There's a whole host of guys. The Will Jacks of this world. The Ben Duckett, um, you, know, you, you can you can trip names off your tongue, and Rayan Ahmed's coming up as as an up and coming leg spinner as well. There's a whole load of guys who, given half a chance, will will be contenders by 2027. But the other problem that England have got, and this is the thing, I I do not know how they get out of this bind, is in their desperation to defend the sanctity of England as a as a team and the ethos of of international cricket. They've been handing out these massive great contracts to their players, a lot of whom are probably you're going to look at look at their performances in this World Cup and think, well, do we really want to have three more years of Joe Root as a, as a, as, a, as a white ball player? Because that's that's the length of contract he's been given. Uh, it, it, they are in a bit of a bind to play their big name players because they're the they're the guys on whom the reputation of English cricket has been built, but at the same time move them on and allow the next gener- generation to come through. It's, it's, it's a balancing act, but I do not know quite what way the scales will tilt at the moment. All I know is that something's going to change because uh, the speed with which the team was shown to have tipped over the hill uh, was shocking, to be perfectly honest. Um, it caught me completely by surprise. I did think, and I think England also thought, that they had the mindset, the, 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 the big game mentality, the, the proof of of method from winning so much in the preceding eight years that they'd be able to turn turn that switch on on the big stage and and just roll out the the performances that um to be fair by the end of the tournament they were almost doing i mean ben stokes finally found form too late it was producing those innings that he really cemented the the 2019 tournament on uh but by that stage of course they'd lost well six out of seven wasn't it and um and and then the game was game was completely in the gutter so uh um, really tricky balance to strike, and um, I think the next two three years will be that of that dynamic will be the defining issue for English cricket going forward. It was so weird watching you know, this World Cup because it stopped being funny way earlier than I wanted it to, <laughs> and that is something that I, I do not 
I do not appreciate about an England team. It, start, it started being sad, like halfway through the tournament, and I started feeling sad for them. And these are such unusual emotions to have as a non-England fan. Yeah, I, I, I sub I sub one of your sub one of your pieces after after the after England's latest loss, and I and I, I was almost in tears. You big softy! This isn't this isn't this isn't what I was expecting. I thought you I thought you were gonna rip rip them a new one. It's like no, you you bring out the tissues. Um, yeah, I mean it, it was just weird to watch like a world champion team who just who you kind of expected as well to dominate for at least another couple of years, and to to see them unravel so so spectacularly was you know this is these are very unusual emotions i think for for anyone who has watched england cricket like if you're a recent england supporter it's unusual to see them do so well in white ball cricket but then also if you've just come into england cricket it's unusual to see them lose so badly um but i i i think i genuinely felt quite sorry for them and I don't, I don't appreciate that. That is a that is an emotion that I have. So there was one, there was one press conference moment, right after the after they lost to uh, Australia and Ahmedabad, and uh, Adam Zampa is in is you know talking about his good spell. He was he was excellent in that match. I think he got he was player of the match. Uh, Josh Butler comes into the press conference room halfway through Zampa's press conference, and Zampa is asked a question, and the journalist uh, who asked it. Uh, was like I was going to ask you this question before Butler walked in anyway, but you know you've like you've really taken Butler apart over the last couple of years, and the the kind of tension in the room at that moment was so immense. Like you could you could like you could push the air and both like the tension between Butler and and Zambo was so you could push the uh, the air and both of them would move because there's just they were like Zambo was aggressively not trying to make eye contact with Butler. And Butler was just standing there, just looking down, you know, acting as if he hadn't heard the question, which of course he had. And uh, Zampa just like paused for about 15 seconds and then just gave like, oh, you know, just as a good player, he's one of my best friends. But it was, uh, it was so, it was, I think, it, it, you know, Butler just cut such a, cut such a, you know, disheartened figure uh, at this World Cup that uh, it was... I think that was one of that was one of those kind of press conferences are usually pretty boring, but that but that moment I think will stay with me for a long time. Zampa just trying really hard not to say something that makes this already incredibly sad person even sadder. Like oh, my favorite press conference moment is uh, Shakib suddenly reminding everybody that uh, oh, there is Champions Trophy qualification on the line. Something which nobody knew. I'm convinced nobody knew about this till he brought it up. Shakib's had a couple of cr- spectacular moments this World Cup, by the way. That's uh, that the Champions Trophy thing, which broke the news. Basically, he was like he broke the news to the entire world that that the. Uh, that Champions Trophy qualification on the line, and then the timed out thing was. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I wanted like, to get into that. It was that. like Chef's yeah. Kiss. It was like Chef's Kiss, Shakib Al Hassan. You have someone from England here, right? The, the two of us are now going to discuss the spirit of cricket in a way. Yeah. By <laughs> the way, also okay. the father of Bangladesh cricket has been described as the father of Bangladesh cricket. Andrew Miller. Indeed, I I, so. I I just wash my hands of it all. It's, it, it, next next time someone sort of points their finger at, at England for banging on about the spirit of cricket, I'm I'm just saying, look, we had nothing to do with the with the biggest ruckus of this World Cup. It's like you you lot you lot losing losing your minds over it. It's like yeah, leave us out of it. <laughs> my favorite moment from all of this is uh, uh, so this happened uh, one day before uh, the Australia innings right, against Afghanistan, the Glenn Maxwell innings. And uh, so the whole day, reactions coming in. Angelo Matthews is uh, livid and he's reacting on Twitter. And uh, Maxwell has just played the innings of his life or the innings, I don't know, of, of all time. And while that is happening, while there are reactions to that happening, you have Angelo Matthews still angrily tweeting at that exact same time, retweeting stuff that people have sent to him. Like, it's he, he's not letting it go. Like, I want to ask you, Fidel, has he finally let this go? Are there bigger things to fry now given that you are now uh, like covering a team that is potentially suspended from the ICC. Oh my gosh, I have so much to say about this. <laughs> uh, where do I start? Angelo Matthews was incredibly annoyed. And this is not a person who... He's not like a hugely emotional cricketer, right? Like, In fact, it's, I, I covered a lot of Angelo Matthews press conferences, particularly when he was captain. And oh my lord, they were boring. And they, you know, like I should put, I should play them to my kids to put them to sleep, kind of boring. Then he has like perhaps the most 
spectacularly angry press conference I've ever been to, uh, which was uh, after this happened, he just kind of stomped into the room and obviously had things to say and he said them all. That was kind of fun as a as a journalist to be to, to kind of witness this player just be just roared out from such a such a spectacular moral height that he felt that he had. Uh, but no, I, I think I think he has you know he feels very hard done by. But also that what I, what I think he feels is that there's there's been aspersions cast on his professionalism, which is that he should have got ready, he should have been faster, he should have been out there, all of that, and he feels like it was very obvious that his strap broke, and that is the reason that caused it. Now, really, the strap broke at one fifty five after the previous dismissal. This feels like the uh, J- this feels like the JFK <laughs> yeah 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 it's here, video yeah. There's the like, grassy knoll the... yeah yeah there's, yeah there's a grassy knoll somewhere and uh, yeah we're being very forensic about this um, one fifty five is when it broke but he hadn't taken guard yet realistically he wasn't going to take guard before two minutes had passed but the bigger thing is that uh, Shakib appealed and uh, apparently was told by another fielder which Shakib didn't who Shakib didn't name. To appeal, there are aspects of the Sri Lanka camp that feel like Murray Erasmus, the, the standing umpire, gave the idea to a Bangladesh. There's, there's all sorts of conspiracy theories going around about this. Uh, Matthews feels very hard done by, by uh, both Bangladesh and the, the umpires because I think he feels like his professionalism has been called into question. Uh, and for a super experienced player, as he has, you know, played over 100 test matches, you know, like one of Sri Lanka's very, very, very fine players, he feels like he doesn't need this at this at this end of his career, and he wants he wants someone to apologize to him, basically. And so that that's one that's one side of the equation. Uh, but there's there's all sorts of other things, you know, like there's the umpires, in my view, didn't really do anything wrong. They probably could have been more attentive at as to what was happening with Matthews uh, and kind of looked at what was going on. You can see in the videos that they were just, you know, chatting to the Bangladesh players or whatever. If they're the ones who are going to rule on a timed out dismissal, then I think they should be more watching what's happening in between play and uh, and perhaps could have picked up that, that uh, thing that uh, struck him broken equally. I think Matthews should have told the umpires straight away as soon as it broke. Uh, but it's just it's just that everyone's treading on new ground, you know, like the timed out dismissal has never happened before. Matthews, when he was told by when he was told by Murray Erasmus, he very clearly laughed was his it was his first reaction. He just thought like Murray was trying to hurry him up because he'd already he'd already been hurried up by Richard Illingworth, who told him he had 30 seconds left. Uh, Murray Erasmus was trying to uh, that he was just Murray was just trying to hurry him up. But uh, it, it, it very quickly, he became very worried. There's all of that at play i ultimately think the umpires did the right thing and if bangladesh appeal in that situation which i think bangladesh are completely uh, allowed to as per the rules of the sport they should be um that's like that's not a problem i don't think shakib did anything wrong and i massively respect just the like dgaf uh attitude that he has to the whole thing he just he's just like i needed my team to win this is what it takes and then i did that uh, I hugely respect that, but uh, but yeah, I also I mean the the kind of nerdier part of me also thinks that I don't really like watching batters get timed out. I think it should be a penalty runs kind of thing, um, and the umpires should uh, hurry them along. Maybe the umpires should be more attentive during these kind of breaks in play as well. So I would those are the two kind of slightly critical things that I would say. The the game needs to move faster. We need to have penalties for batters who are taking their time. The last funny thing is that yesterday there was a huge, uh, huge press conference at SLC in Colombo, at SLC headquarters, and the only player who didn't show up uh, was uh, was Angelo Matthews. Uh, presumably, another chin strap had broken. I don't know. I'm not sure. But <laughs> one thing I'd say about it all, as as you know, as a connoisseur of the spirit of cricket, you're holding up a fictionalized wine glass. Yes, you say that, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swirl, swirl yeah. around and, 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 and yeah. sample the bouquet. But um, no, the the one thing I would say about all of this is very similar to run out to non-strikers end. It is one of those ones that what are you going to do if it's not there in the rules, in the laws? It is written in precisely because it's designed to to. To be a black and white ending to ending to to sharp practice, essentially. Do you want to steal 
steal um, runs by by walking halfway down the pitch and and get away with it. If you do, then someone at the other on the opposition has got to have recourse to say, well, I'm not allowing you to do that. I'm going to whip off the bales. And similarly, are you going to? If you're, you know, your your guy at the far end is blowing because he's he's been batting for too long and needs to gasp in some air at the fall of a wicket, you're going to spend five minutes getting to the crease just to buy buy your guy some time. I mean, you've got to have a way to uh, bring an end to sharp practice. And if in so doing, it looks as though it's a looks as though it's a, a dodgy dismissal. I I just feel that's that's just the black and white nature of 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 out being being out is a very black and white thing, isn't it? I, what I'll say about penalty runs being a better thing is that I think we would get more monkering, we would get more runouts at the non-striker end, we'd get more times out if we made it penalty runs and took the sting of a dismissal out of it. We'd get more, we'd get a faster game at the end of the at the end of the day because people will be doing it way more often. If it's five penalty runs, ten penalty runs, screw it, twenty penalty runs maybe. I don't know. You could we can argue about what the penalty should be, but if it is. We would get way more of them. The game would be faster, and people would creep out of their crease way less uh, because there's much more frequent, uh, frequent occurrences of this happening. That is my big argument for penalty runs being for being the thing rather than dismissals. I I feel you don't need some a new rule to be put into place just to remove the stigma out from uh, manner of dismissal. Like there shouldn't be stigma in running someone out of the non-strikers and also. Right, like it feels off. I get it. That timed out victory, I get it. But the way I look at it is, if it's within the rules, Shakib exercise is right, and like the it has just added a new chapter to the Nagin Derby. Like this, I did not, I did not expect these two sides to have as much of drama before. You thought it was all nice and friendly. Lazun Shanaka and Shakib shake hands, and like everything is good, and then suddenly this happens. Like I can't believe I'm saying this, but God bless Bangladesh cricket for putting this together. <laughs> I agree with you that it was uh, it was a bit of drama that, like, as a as a fan of drama in cricket, I did enjoy the fact that it had happened uh, very much. But look, okay, here's my thing with the the penalty runs and the and the and the dismissals. Right, it shouldn't have stigma. I agree with you. It shouldn't have stigma. But we live in a world where it very clearly does. Uh, and also where, you know, there are certain, you know, countries, teams, uh, cricketing cultures that say that these things should never be done, right? As a way of getting somebody out. So that is, I'm just making an argument from pragmatism, right? Like the pragmatic thing to do is just to be like, it's penalty runs. You can do this anytime you want. You can run out someone at the non-striker's end. You can time somebody out. The timeout doesn't even have to come into the player's hands. Third umpire, as soon as two minutes is up, batter's not ready to face. That's immediate. Five, ten, whatever penalty runs, right? The players aren't even involved in that. If it became a completely amoral thing, right? We would have much better uh, experience of the game as fans. The game would move faster. I would love to see a game where there's like three, four not run out of the non-strikers ends, uh, try, uh, you know, uh, dismissals or not dismissals, but attempts every game because then batters are always just, it's just another thing that brings tension into a cricket match, right? Uh, someone running down the, the steps to get into the ground faster. It's just another point of tension. It's another thing that, pl- that people can watch. Cricket has enough slack moments as it is. And the, even the umpires treat them as slack moments, as we saw in this particular uh, event. Maria Erasmus was not paying super close attention to what was happening with Angelo Matthews, even though he knew, and Richard Illingworth had warned Matthews that they had 30 seconds left, there was no attention being paid by both umpires to what was happening there. And so I think penalty runs takes everything, just makes it a more watchable experience for everyone. And... Cricket has this thing like, oh, it's the first time it happened in 150 years, however long, of playing cricket. Cool, but like one data point is should be enough to make you rethink things. Why is one data point not, to, not enough? We did that with the boundary count back, right? We very quickly realized that that was a crap way to decide how a match went. Did we? I thought it was uh, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was about to point I mean, that out. Of course, yeah, yeah. In, in, in a dead <laughs> rubber match, that too, uh, where there were no stakes... <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but 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 I mean, I think the cricket the cricket committee, the uh, ICC cricket committee, has generally been pretty good 
at taking these kind of very sparse data points and refining the rules of the game. And I don't blame them. Like, this has never happened before. And it's just like, it's, it's kind of an arcane law. But now that we've seen that the only time it happened was when a batter had a equipment malfunction, maybe we could just, we need to tighten the rules around it and we need to make it better viewing experience for the fans. Uh, because at this level, I believe that that's the thing that that brings people in, that grows the game. You know, I just, I just think that cricket can be much more, uh, t- to go back to our tech talk, to our, uh, t- should be much more nimble, to, should be much more agile with the way it deals with it. <laughs> and, and it should take the, the most recent thing and, and try and figure out a better world. You do, you do realise, though, the, the, the big, big flaw in your utopian view of how cricket should develop. It is, unfortunately, it's not run by rules, it's run by laws. And therefore, unfankling the laws is a far, far more complicated thing than unfankling basic rules. So most of the laws of cricket are, are, are you know, minor, minor instances, you know, traffic violations or, 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 or you know, petty, petty theft or what have you. Every now and again, you're going to get murder, you're going to get grand larceny, you're, you're, you're going to get treason. You've got you've got to have consequences for these for these for these misdemeanors. They may not come along often, but when they do, they have to be punished. And that that I'm afraid you know you you can't unfankle the laws that simply. You, you're gonna you're gonna have to pull up the entire roots of the game to to make them less complicated. No, I mean you really don't because okay. First of all, cricket calling its rules the laws is like the most cricket thing ever. <laughs> They're called laws because we get to have these conversations on exactly on exactly. Yeah. How boring would it be if we didn't have these conversations? As a as a lifelong cricket fan, I think cricket is way too up its own butt about how <laughs> important it is. Already, the playing the ICC playing conditions as they were applied in this tournament is two minute gives you two minutes to get from the dressing room or from wherever you are uh, to the to be ready to receive the ball right the laws the mcc laws say three minutes so already we are we are adapting the the, the laws and making them work better and i do believe two minutes is plenty of time two minutes is what it should be three minutes is way too long for uh for a, to give a batter to get into to, to get ready to receive the ball so two minutes is we we're already you know uh, amending these so-called laws and i don't see it as pulling the roots out of the game one of the things that somebody uh, i think uh, a couple of people uh, you know in crick info when i first suggested that it should be penalty run said was that what about on the fifth day of, of a test match when a team is you know batting out time to draw a game uh you know what if you they abuse the timeout law look i have watched enough cricket to know that anyway batters don't arrive at the crease within two minutes in a in on the last day of a test match when they're trying to draw a game that just almost never happens right and there is so much time wasting that happens in between that there are glove run glove changes uh, equipment changes. There was one time at an SSC test match where Imran Tahir laid down and played dead. I'm not kidding. <laughs> this 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 actually happened. Where he just he I think he he was supposedly having cramp and he just laid down at the non-striker's end and just was immobile. <laughs> and these are things that already happen in cricket and which umpires are very used to hurrying things along. And there are provisions within the laws itself that say if a team is deemed by the umpires to not be competing, which I think could be, could be stretched to this, uh, this definition, uh, if, a, if a batter is not coming out of his dressing room, then they're not competing. Then the, you know, the, the match can be, can be awarded to the other team. The umpires have within them the ability to force the game to go at a faster pace. Which is what we want as players, as specta- as sorry, as spectators and as as fans, and uh, that is the ultimate goal. And I don't think that there should be any other goal. There shouldn't be. There is this kind of almost cult of uh, originalism in when it comes to the laws of cricket, where people believe that the original laws are there for a reason, and it's almost like the the U.S. kind of like founding fathers constitution debate. No, cricket should constantly be changing. It's, it's, it lives in a changing world. It should be changing to fit the needs of its spectators, of its fans. Those are the people that need to be served. And this is one instance of it. 
I will argue that to all comers. I've never, never saw this veering into the Second Amendment debate, but here we go. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I had a proper uh, uh, tech solution to this, right? Uh, you just, like we have seen this in the IPL, you had a, a, a strategic timeout sponsored by whichever is the brand of the year uh, in every single season that goes on for two and a half minutes. Whenever there's a wicket, you put a clock there. You have a shot clock in basketball. You have now a ball clock for the uh, MLB. Bring in a timer, sponsor the timer yeah, so that everybody can see it. Oh my lord, this is such a good idea. Like a shot clock for, like every time a wicket falls, it's like the clock goes up on, I mean, you can't because the, but in the corner, because they pay replays, but yep. in the corner of the, the stadium clock, there's a two minute timer counting down. That's it. To when the better can be, they, like this is what could create tension in the game. Like this is what I'm talking about. It's a perfect idea. It's a beautiful idea. You don't need a penalty runs. You don't. You just need a, a, maybe a fifth umpire just to keep time. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just spitballing here because that's what happens in basketball. The third as well. umpire anyway. The third umpire anyway does it. Third umpire is the person who yeah who tells the on-field umpires when the two minutes is up. And so anyway, the third umpire keeps track of that. Monetize, monetize it. Like just put it on the put it on the ground. Have people like put a shiny new logo there. Have somebody else come in, present the award for saying you won't get timed out. You, That's you it. You've just come up with like a uh, an idea worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you should get a cut of it. You should <laughs> insist. On I, I, I I I will pitch it uh, the next time uh, anyone anyone asks for my opinion, even though my opinion doesn't matter here. <laughs> so uh, like I, I I don't know how to close this debate because the way, when we had. Uh, met around a month and a half ago or uh, two months ago we were just wondering whether this, when this world cup will kick in when it won't and we have just had a very spirited debate on a, a complete dead rubber of a match that yeah. had no consequence on anything and and, and the thing right. is like matthews matthews has been bowling better than he bats right so <laughs> the idea that matthews would have made a difference in that match matthews the batter would have made a difference in that, that match is probably like not very high so, uh, so, so, so like, just to like, add to that, like, has this, like, looking back on it now, like, this has been a pretty good World Cup. It took, it took like ten days for it to kick off, right? Like, what has been one moment that has like stuck with you in a way? Yeah. What was it like? I, I, I to mean, just cover the I World mean, Cup. I, in I, I think like it's a, it's a very different World Cup from say 2019 or 2015, which I was also at. Uh, in that, like, it's mostly India fans, but it's also been in the second half of the World Cup. It's been incredible to see the kinds of crowds that have turned up to these matches and the kind of kind of support that all I mean yesterday I was in Kolkata watching England v Pakistan which after England won the toss turned into the deadest of dead rubbers because England were already in the Champions Trophy Pakistan had no chance of making the semis so it was there was nothing riding riding on the game essentially and you just saw you know so many Kolkata residents cheering for Pakistan England got the same amount of support too, um, but it was just nice to see cricket fans turn up, turn up to grounds. And um, in places like the UK, in places like Australia, New Zealand, you get you know Afghan fans turning around, turning up, or Sri Lankan fans turning up in London or in Melbourne uh, and supporting their team. Whereas this is you know Indians kind of have a fairly global perspective. When apart from in India matches where you know it's a sea of blue and everyone gets treated like a uh, the opposition is, you know, just there to be uh, to be beaten by the English, India team. But in the neutral matches, I've really started to love watching cricket in India because there is like a, an affinity to players and a knowledge about players. I think that you don't get in many other places play, places in the world because the IPL has been going on for so long because so many of these players come here and play uh, for such long portions of the year. So that has been fun to watch. Uh, there's been other non-fun things um, in other parts of the country, and I think like those that those things have been covered on our uh, in our other coverage. Uh, I hope that um, those, you know, we uh, when we when we weigh up this World Cup, that but that that both those things are, are taken into account. But uh, it has been it has been a very and it it really has felt like a World Cup. Like I, you know, you turn on the TV, half the half the ads are cricket related. You know. Uh, you go out, there's billboards all over, there's reminders all the time of a World Cup happening. Uh, and it, it has felt, it has, in the last few weeks, has felt like a lot of fun. I think, it, I think you're right, it took like three weeks for it to really kind of kick off. Uh, but there has been a definite, like getting into the spirit of it in the, in the last few weeks. 
Um, I, I'm not a big fan of the, to- the format of the, you know, nine plays nine format or the, you know, league format. And I think that's going to change in the next World Cup. But uh, beyond that, I, I think it's been a fantastic tournament in the last few weeks. The, the number of close matches we've had, uh, Afghanistan making their run probably would have been more fun if they had won that Australia match and, and kept things more alive. Uh, but the, yeah, it's it's had some iconic moments as well. You know, Maxwell, uh, that Afghanistan victory over Pakistan had a, a couple of iconic moments. Obviously, the timed out dismissal, which we've debated to uh, debated endlessly. Um, it's felt it's felt like it's it's something that you will think back on in ten years' time and still remember. And that is what you want. Willow, your closing thoughts because I have already said that this is uh, one of the World Cups of all time. I must admit, well, after those first two, three weeks, I was feeling pretty despondent about this World Cup. Not simply because England were rubbish, but also just, you know, the, the narrative around particularly the, the Narendra Modi Stadium matches and, and, and the, the, the pseudo-nationalist fever that seemed to be um, engulfing the game was worried me a little bit about where, where, the, where this tournament was actually headed. But I think, as Fidel says, it picks up after the third, fourth week. And I don't think it's any coincidence that it was the, the more traditional venues, um, you know, Mumbai, Calcutta, Chennai. The, those grounds were perhaps a little later getting into the roster. And it felt like the crowds there were, were you know, there's real heritage behind the game. I felt that that was the moment the, the tournament really caught light uh, from, from, a, from a, you know, certainly a spectator perspective. As a, as a guy who's been watching on the telly and covering from the telly, the TV coverage matters. And when you see that opening match, England playing in, in the Modi Stadium with barely anyone there, I mean, the more people turn out for my club team than uh, than turned out at the ground that day. Um, it really does matter to see the, the Wankadi or, 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 or Chennai or, or Kolkata buzzing and looking like a, a real event. So that was great. Um, you know, and just final thoughts in terms of, in terms of the format. Um, you know, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the format, but I do think it gets a bad rap in terms of people do write off the jeopardy very quickly when it looks like one team's pulling away and another team's falling behind. Um, I felt as though the very fact that it took until the penultimate game for even England to be officially booted out of the qualification qualification reckoning goes to show there was jeopardy all the way through. Although I do I do regret the fact that England just bottled it so badly i i think i think if they had realized if they'd just taken a breath that's particularly after losing to i think it would have been south africa would have been their second defeat and it was a thumping loss and it it really made them panic but if they'd just taken a breath and realized if we can get through by losing just two more games here we're in a real shot if you look at the way that that tournament panned out and you know losing to australia uh, was a big moment because um, that really did. If they, if England had beaten Australia in that whatever three, three, four games to go, Australia still had Afghanistan to play, who at that stage would have had a real shot if if Australia dropped points. You know there were there were ways and means for a real, real drama in the table to to upend things, and Australia could have fallen out of the reckoning. Afghanistan could have moved their way up. England could have got back into it. I think they re- I think they lost, they lost faith too soon in the fact that they could qualify and as a as a consequence fell off a cliff. I think England, if they had just held their nerve, they could have been fighting for that fourth place right to the bitter end. And all it would have taken was maybe one win earlier on and then, you know, getting over the line against Australia and they'd have been right in the mix. I mean, the one thing I'd say about that is that we, the, the teams that we thought after about the second or third week would get to the semifinals have all got to the semifinals. So while technically there were chances, there were mathematical chances for many teams to make it, were there realistic chances? I would say like the Jeopardy, the, the Jeopardy is the thing that I would say is really what is missing in the nine, in the kind of uh, league st- league stages. And, you know, it would be nice to like figure out, okay, who are the best teams in the competition pretty early and then move them into a super six and have them all play each other and euthanize the uh, the campaigns of the teams like like England, like Sri Lanka, who were never really had a proper chance of making it. I think that's that's the, that's the kind of format that I would prefer, uh, and that is actually the the format I think that we're moving to in twenty twenty seven, provided they they stick with their current plans. 
Uh, yeah, I think but, it's two groups of seven, and they have the same. Yeah, two groups of seven, then goes into a super six. I think is what what happens. So yeah, I I, I think the ICC itself. I'm thankful that um, some kind of uh, uh, some change has been made because the last two tournaments I don't think have had. But you know they've you know the last one had the all time great finish. This one we are still yet to see. So I'm not going to bag on it too much. Let's, no, let's see. It, it, let's, it's it's all the function of how many teams do play the World Cup, right? Like you only have ten teams, so uh, trying to eke out as many matches as you can amongst them is seems fair. It, it, it's good to have a discussion where we are not even looking forward; we're just looking back, right? Because looking for, I have no idea how this is going to go about. Uh, India could just steamroll everybody and uh, go eleven on eleven. Most likely. Hey, can yeah. I can I just say as a closing thought? Yeah. Um, I got to watch. Uh, three India matches uh, in the ones that I covered, and I have never seen uh, limited overs attack be that good. You know, and I'm 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 saying this like I, I watched them steamroll Sri Lanka for fifty five, obviously, and and I watched them steamroll Sri Lanka for fifty the last uh, you know in the in the Asia Cup, but to see a team that has like fast bowlers who can like smash it on on slow decks and to see a team that has spinners who are excellent on uh, on seeming pitches or on batting pitches that is something that I've, I don't think I've seen in white ball cricket from any team ever and I hope that there is there is there is a part the cricket fan part part of me wants to see the cricket fan part, part of me wants to see India uh, and their attack kind of be at their best in the semifinals because I think they're a treat to watch you know, my my final my final point though, and on the format is, if England if England had been twenty five percent better, there would have been one more team competing for the top four, and I think it would have made the tournament a lot better, lot lot more competitive. You know, if England had just taken a few blows off the top teams and 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 closed up that that gap at the top, but you know, it's it's England were were a disaster. They they've been. They've been the, the team of the tournament in so many ways for several years because, you know, 2011, they, they kept the group stage alive by uh, by losing to the wrong teams and winning against the, the better opponents and, and, and really kept the jeopardy alive in the in the format they had on that occasion. So, um, you know, it, I guess having a stinker in the truest sense is, is overdue from, from, from England. And, um, yeah, we'll uh, get on to the rebuild and see what happens. Thank you, Miller, and thank you, Fidel, for... Uh... Sharing your uh, thoughts, looking back on this World Cup, I, I it's been it's been a fantastic World Cup to watch. The neutral games have been insane. India matches they have been absolutely lethal. Uh, we don't know how it's going to be looking at the New Zealand match and then the final. Same goes for South Africa and Australia. But uh, if the last three weeks have anything to go by, then this is going to be an incredible World Cup to even sign off on. So uh, thank you so much for. Uh, Making it so far on the ESPN Cricket for Stumpmine podcast. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, then do leave a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps take the podcast forward. We'll see you soon.